Thank you, Brother Mike. I'm not sure if I've ever called you Brother Mike before. <laughs> Good morning to you. I just want you to know how uh, pleased Brenda and I are to be with you guys today. We've uh, uh, been praying for uh, you guys for the last few years, uh, Michael and Andrea, and we're in our church, as he said, about eight years. We know them. We love them. We watch their kids be born, and and uh, we had a lot of good uh, good times together. But what you probably don't know is that when Michael heard that the Southern Baptist Convention was going to be in this area, he, he way back then he began to think about who he could maybe ask to fill in on this particular Sunday, knowing that there were going to be hundreds, literally thousands of Baptist preachers, you know, close by. And so he. He made up his mind immediately that he would seek out the absolute best preacher in the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> and uh, that guy wasn't available. <laughs> and so then he said, well, if I can't get the best preacher, then I'll get the very best teacher. And he may not preach as good, but, but he'll, boy, his content will just be awesome. And he'll teach our people a lot of wonderful things. And so he called that guy and he couldn't come and then he said I can't get the best preacher and I can't get the best teacher I'll at least get a nice guy you know he won't have much to say and he won't say it very well but he'll like everybody and they'll like him and that'll be good for us and and uh, that guy said no <laughs> and so then he thought well maybe I'll get a really good looking guy you know, he won't have anything to say. He won't say it well. And even if he's not nice, at least the people will say, well, he looks nice. He's a, he's a good-looking guy. And he couldn't come. <laughs> and so then he called me. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't feel right about turning him down five times in a row. <laughs> so... So... <laughs> So it's really good to be, to be with you. Uh, did you hear about the chicken and the pig who were, got together and they were talking about how they could help the hungry of their city? The chicken and the pig. And so the chicken said, why don't we serve them bacon and eggs? Pig thought about that a moment, and he said, well, for you, that's a contribution, but for me, that's total commitment, and he's right. So what does it mean to be totally committed? As Christians, we talk a lot about being committed, but what does that mean? So I want to talk to you today about what it means to be committed. And my prayer is that before this service is over, you will at least understand more clearly, perhaps than ever before, what it means to be committed. And if you are not, that you will begin to move in that direction. And here, here's why that's so important. Let me borrow from the great apologist C.S. Lewis, who once wrote an essay entitled, Christian apologetics. And here's what he said in it. He said, here's one thing that Christianity can never be. Never. Now listen to what he says. 
He said, Christianity can never be this. Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance whatsoever. And we're wasting our time in being here. But if it is true, if it is true, then it is the most important thing we can ever do. But then he said this, but the one thing Christianity can never be is moderately important. You see, that's why us understanding what it means to be committed is so important because there is no such thing as being moderately committed. So I want to talk to you about that because there's not a there's not a single verse in the Bible I challenge you to find it but I'll save you some time it's not there there's not a single verse in the Bible anywhere any place any time where the Bible says as a Christian you can live your life any way you want to it's just not there not there all right No, he doesn't want 5% of your life. He doesn't want 50% of your life. He doesn't even want 99% of your life. He wants all of you. He wants you to be totally committed because the one thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. So let's talk about what it means to be committed. I want to use a couple of verses out of Romans chapter 12 that most of you know and many of you could quote. Uh... So we're going to take a look, a fresh look, if you will, at some old verses, and I hope you will understand better when we're finished what it really means to be committed, okay? Romans 12, 1 and 2, are you there? Paul says, therefore, in other words, in light of what I have said, I appeal to you, I urge you, I beseech you, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God. In other words, in, in view of God's mercy, because of God's great mercy. And then he gets to it. Now watch this. I appeal to you for you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or reasonable service, as some translations say. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service or worship. The Christian life, when lived as God intends it, is a delightful thing. I don't know about you. But I'm sort of sick and tired of sour saints and puckered up preachers. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above the other fellows. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus was the happiest man who ever lived. That's what it means. And then I read in the book of Philippians, and so do you, let this mind be in you which was in him. So if he was the happiest guy who ever lived, then he wants us to be happy people. The Christian life, when lived as it's supposed to be lived, is a delightful thing. 
Vance Havner, the old colorful evangelist, used to say, Christians have lived for so long the subnormal Christian life. If we ever started living the normal Christian life, most people would think we were living the abnormal Christian life. And I'm afraid that we have settled for a brand of Christianity that is not normal as God intends it to be because when the Christian life is lived as God intends it, it is a delightful thing. But the Christian life as too many live it is a dangerous and deceptive thing. There's so much misunderstanding about what it means to be committed to the Lord so I want to talk to you about that, but let me, let me begin before we jump into these verses. I want to start by, by, by just giving you three things that commitment is not, all right? So let's make sure we understand what it's not, and then we'll jump into the verses and see what, what it is, all right? So first of all, just quickly, three things that commitment is not. Number one, commitment is not doing good for God. Now, a lot of people believe that Christianity and the Christian life is do, 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 and they're God's little helpers, and they think you ought to be down to church every day and every night. Will Rogers used to say that the state builds the roads and the Baptists wear them out going back and forth to church. A lot of truth to that. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't discount their, their sincerity, and there are some things that you're going to be doing if you're committed, but... Doing for God never has been, never will be what it means to be committed. So that's the first thing. It's not doing for God. Second, commitment is not studying about God. You see, that's another group. You got God's little helpers who are doing everything, and then you got all these little study people who want to meet in Bible study groups, and all they want to do, you say, well, you're willing to serve. No, I just want to study. What that usually means is sit, soak, and sour. And so it's not doing for God, but it's not also just studying about God. Now, listen to me. If you're committed, you're going to be doing some things for God, and you're going to be studying about God. But it's more to it than that. Let me give you one more. Commitment is not just doing for God. It's not just studying about God. And it's not just enjoying and worshiping God. Because there are also some who believe it's just all about singing and praising Spending time in worship. I heard one man say it like this. He said, it's not so high, it's not important how high you jump in worship, but how straight you walk when you hit the ground. So, if, if it isn't doing good for God, and it isn't studying about God, or enjoying and worshiping God, then what does it mean to be committed? Okay, here we go. These verses in Romans chapter 12 break down for us in bite-sized chunks. They tell, us, they tell us why we ought to be committed. They tell us what's involved in being committed. And they tell us what happens when we are committed. I'm, I'm going to outline it this way. The reasons, the responses, and the results. So let's look at those. All right. First of all, what are the reasons for committing your life to the Lord? Are there some valid reasons for doing that? I am... Uh, I'm so glad that the Lord treats us like we're maturing. When I was a little kid, like you and yours, when I was told to do something, I would often ask, why? And you know what? That I, you know what I heard? Probably the same thing that you heard. Four words. Because I said so right? 
My dad might say, you know, pick up your toys. Why? Because I said so. Mow the grass. Why? Because I said so. And that, I don't know about your, your house, that pretty well wrapped it up around my house. Now, every parent knows or should know that in the beginning, you simply say, because I say so. Because they're too little and they're too immature to understand uh, an exact detailed explanation why you don't want them to do certain things. And you have to teach them to trust you and, and obey you. And if you don't, you're going to have trouble later, which is exactly what's wrong with a lot of kids in this world today. That's a different sermon for a different day. So you start off that way. But every parent worth his or her salt also knows that there comes a time at which you begin to explain to them why. Because that's what helps them grow. That's what helps them mature. That's what helps them to develop into the kind of young people you want to develop in, right? Well, that's exactly the way God does it. For example, when he gave us the Bible, in the very beginning... He just said, here's what you need to do. Why? Because I say so. I mean, case in point, Ten Commandments. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Why? Well, he didn't explain it. He said, just do this. This is what makes it work. It's what makes life work. It's what makes society work. He didn't say, now there's some dietary laws that are actually going to be good for your health. And let me tell you, no, he didn't do all that. He just said, here's what you're supposed to do. And here's why you're going to do it, see. But if you continue to read the Bible, you begin to see that God in his progressive revelation then begins to tell us and explain to us more about why he wants us to do things. And that's exactly what happens in so many of the epistles in the New Testament. And that's exactly what happens in Romans 12, 1 and 2. All right. So that's what he's doing. Paul says here, note that word, therefore. Now, I'm sure Michael has told you this. If he hadn't, he should have, because I taught him to tell you this. Anytime you see the word therefore in the scripture, you ask what it's there for, because it is therefore to connect to something else. So when he says, therefore, brethren, I beseech you to do this, you, you got to say, okay, why? Why is he telling us to do that? Now, I don't have the time. To go through Romans chapter 1 through 11. But I wish we did, but we don't. So hear me say this. In, in Romans 1 through 11, it is written what you would call in the indicative or the past tense where God is saying, this is what I've done. Whether you know it, whether you like it, whether you believe it, whether you accept it, here's what I have done. It's in the past tense. And then you come to Romans 12 and following, and it is in the present tense where he is saying, in light of what I have done, this is what you ought to do. In other words, in other words, you can't understand Romans 12, 1 and 2 without the first chapter, 11 chapters of Romans 1 through 11. And he capsulizes that, he summarizes that in the very last verse in verse 36 of chapter 11. In other words, without 1136, you can't understand 12, 1 and 2. So let's hear them together. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. Therefore, because of that, I beseech you, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to do these things. 
ever opened a newspaper? Now, some of you who are younger in the room don't know what a newspaper is. <laughs> we used to get those every day in our yard, and we would read the news. Now you just get on the internet and read it. But if you remember the old newspapers, and you just opened a newspaper in the middle, you would probably see some article, whatever section you were in, that said, continued from page one, right? Well, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you could write above it, continued from 1136. Are you with me? Say. So that tells us why, the reasons that we need to be committed. Now let's look at what he says. First of all, he says, for we need to be committed because from him are all things. For from him, he says, are all things. Now, what does that mean? It means that he made you. It means that he created you. It means that he fashioned you. It means that he put you together and everything else. He put all the parts of you together. From him are all things. There's a verse in the Psalms that says he wrote our features in a book before we were ever born. He described you. He knew you. He knew what you were going to look like before you were ever born. He, he did all of that. See, we're from him. That means that, that he knows everything about you. It means that he knows your weaknesses. He knows your failures. He knows your strengths. It just makes sense, doesn't it? If he knows that much about who you are and what you are, it makes sense that you ought to commit yourself to him from whom you came on a daily basis. Years ago, and some of you are old enough to remember this, I can tell by looking, but you remember we used to go to the moon. And some of you remember when we landed on the moon, do you remember they had, now this is not the scientific term, but they had moon buggies, you remember? Kind of like a little four-wheel drive thing that bounced around on the moon, if you remember that. Uh, well, I read a science journal article that said in one of our uh, moon landings, they had the moon buggy out and the thing quit working. Now, here's what they did. The astronaut on the moon buggy radioed back to the lunar module. The lunar module radioed back to the command module. The command module radioed back to Houston, and Houston brought in the guy who made the moon buggy, told him what was going on, and he said, oh. And in essence, he said, put a bobby pin right here, you know, that kind of thing. And, the, and so what happened? Well, then Houston commanded, uh, radioed back to the command module. The command module radioed back to the lunar module. And the lunar module told the astronaut, put a little deal here. And when he did, guess what? It worked perfectly. And when I read that, my thought was, it just makes good sense if something's not working right Get in touch with the one who made it because he can tell you how to make it work right. For we are from him. And so if there's something not working about our lives, not working about our marriages, not working about our church, we ought to get back to him. Why? Because we are from him. That's the first reason. But he goes on. He says, not only are we from him, but all things are through him. That means he holds it all together. Hey, did you know if God took his hands off this world, it would go to completely 
to pieces? You said, huh, maybe that's what's wrong with my life. Maybe it is. If God were to withdraw from this universe, it would come all apart. The book of Colossians says, in him all things consist. You know what the word consist is? Glue. Not only are we from him, but in him, it all stays glued together. It all stays the way it's supposed to. Hey, do do you know what judgment is? Judgment is simply getting what you want most of the time. If someone dies without knowing Jesus, they said, look, I I don't want Jesus in my life. I don't want him to have anything to do with my life. So God says, okay, then I'll take my hands off your life. And you know what happens? Your life comes completely apart and you spend all of eternity in a place called hell and God doesn't have anything to do with you. You see, most judgment is getting what we want, but let me tell you something worse than getting what you want. It's getting what you, not, that worse than not getting what you want. It's getting what you want, finding out you don't want what you got. It's getting what you want and finding out that what you've got doesn't work, see. We are from him, and we are through him, see? So, if you want your life to work right, then remember where you came from and what holds it together. And then finally he says, and all things are not only from him and through him, but to him. In other words, it's all heading back to the one who started it. In the end, we'll all stand before him and give an account. Now, I hope you don't do what some of the folks in our church have done. I've had so many times through the years that people have come up to me and they said, Preacher, what is this world coming to? You ever said that? Don't say that. Because that just shows you don't know what the Bible says. Because the Bible says it's all coming to him. That's where it's coming We're from him, he holds it together, and eventually we're going back to him. Now, I'm not the smartest guy around, I admit that. But if all things are from him, through him, and to him, if he knows all about us because he made us, and he holds it all together because he has the power, and I'm going to stand before him someday and give an account of how I have lived, then what Paul is saying is, doesn't it make really good sense to be committed to that person? The reasons. Now let's move on to the responses. This is really what it means to be committed. And this is really where I want to zero in with you, all right? Remember, it's not doing good for God. It's not learning about God. It's not just worshiping God. Well, then, then what is it? Well, look at, look at the verse again. I appeal to you, brother, by the mercies of God, watch this, to present your bodies. To present your bodies. Now, do you know what he's talking about? I'm going to give you a couple, three words. Here's what it means to be committed. Write down this first word, availability. Availability. Do you remember the story? Back in in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, when they came to arrest Jesus, 
We're told, and Jack John tells us this, that Peter pulls out his sword and, and, and tries to attack the guys that are arresting Jesus, cuts the guy's ear off. You remember that story. But do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Mo, Peter, put your sword up. That's not the way we're going to do it. And then he said this, don't you realize that I could ask the Father, I could appeal to the Father, and he will at once make available to me 12 legions of angels? You remember that? The word here? Present your bodies, it's that exact word to immediately make available. Jesus said, Don't you understand something, guys? I could call on the Father and He would present to me. He would immediately make them available to me. And now Paul says in Romans, I want you to present your bodies to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means for you and me to immediately make available ourselves to Him, say. Availability. You ever wonder why he said present your bodies and not your soul or your spirit? No, he said present your bodies. Why? I think because the body is the totality of your personality. It's, it's all that you are, see. Because when, you, when he has that, he has all of you. Uh, y'all just finished Vacation Bible School. We have it this, this next week. And years ago, we were getting ready for Vacation Bible School. And this lady who had worked in Bible school forever came up to me. And real sweet lady. She said, Preacher, I'm, I've got to go out of town this week. It's a, a, a trip with my husband. I didn't mean to, didn't plan to, but I have to. So I just want you to know uh, I'm not going to be in Vacation Bible School this year. I won't be with you in body, but I'll be with you in spirit. Well, I was messing with her, and I said, well, no. Can't have your body. I don't want your spirit. <laughs> she said, what? I said, you ever seen spirit pour Kool-Aid? <laughs> you ever seen spirit go outside and play with the kids? You ever seen spirit teach a Bible study? I said, no. Can't have your body. I don't want your spirit. Say. And she just kind of went like, ah, walked off. But folks, Listen. The truth is, the body represents the totality of who we are and what we have. It was the secret of the Good Samaritan. He was used because he was available. The others weren't available. The preacher went by. He was too busy pastoring. The Levite deacon went by. He, he was too busy helping the preacher. You see, they were doing the work of God, but they weren't doing anything for God because they were not available to God. But the Samaritan was available to God, and therefore God used him. Whatever Christianity is, whatever commitment is, it is you and me being available to Jesus to be all he is in you and me and through us so that others will know that it's him and not just us. Availability. I heard a preacher tell a story one time. He said he had a talking faucet. I, I, I understand. There's no such thing. Okay, just go with me on this. All right, just go with me. But he said he had a talking faucet. And he said one day he went into the kitchen and, 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 and his talking faucet was crying. And he said, faucet, what's the matter with you? And he said, the faucet said, I haven't done anything for you this whole day. I haven't filled up a glass of water. I haven't washed a wash rag. I haven't washed your hand. And the, and the guy said, faucet. 
Don't you know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing by always being available to me? Because when you're available to me, then when I'm ready to turn you on, I can turn you on. When I'm ready to turn you off, I can turn you off and I can use you any way that I want. Your job, he said, Fawcett, is to be available to me. And so is ours. Have you ever said, Lord, I'm available. Whatever you want, wherever you want. Forever how long you want it. Lord, I am available to you. That's what it means to be committed. Availability. Now here's the second word I want you to write down. Acknowledgement. Present your bodies, make yourself available, as a living sacrifice. Now, do you know what that means? If you study the Old Testament, you will find that the way they did that in the biblical days was this. They would take a little lamb, they would raise it, and they would feed it, and they would water it, and they would pin it up, and they would keep it clean, and they would get it ready for the festival day when they would take it to the temple and give it to God. And so every morning and every night... They would take care of it for months. And then uh, they would say, okay, it's time to turn it over to God. And so they would then t pick it up, that little lamb, and then they would start crying and they would say, oh, little lamb, I sure hate to do this. I have to give you up. No, 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 no. Only Baptists do that. <laughs> no, what they would do is this. They would go to the temple with joy in their hearts and a song on their lips because they believed they were presenting to God that which was His in the first place. Friends, I want to tell you something. When you present yourself, your body, as a living sacrifice, you are not donating something to God. You are simply acknowledging that it's been his ever since you were created. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And you're just acknowledging that it belongs to him. And when you feed it, you're feeding that which is his. And when you give it, you're giving that which is his. You're just acknowledging that it belongs to him. That's what commitment is. Acknowledgement. Because of availability. Have you, have you done that? Have you said, Lord, I acknowledge that everything I am, everything I have belongs to you. And I make it available. Here and now. Now here's the third word. But watch this. It only comes after the first two words. Only after the acknowledgement and the availability does the third thing come, and that's activity. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service or worship. By the way, the word reasonable means logical. We get our word logical from that word. This is the logical thing for you to do. Now, it's illogical to do it the way we do it, and that is flip-flop it. We've got that thing completely backwards, see? We start with activity. 
We're not available to God. And by no stretch of the imagination do we acknowledge that everything we have and everything we are belongs to Him. But oh, we're active. We're active. But the tragedy is this. The books of heaven are not going to record the activity of most of us. Why? Because if God is not in on it, then he doesn't recognize anything that the Holy Spirit is not a part of. He doesn't recognize anything done in the flesh. Let me give you an illustration of that. Maybe you've never thought of this. Do you remember Abraham? You remember in Genesis 22, God told him to take his son and sacrifice him, right? You remember that? You remember the words? Take your son, your only son. Ooh, wait a minute. Is that a, is that a goof? Is that a mess up? Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him? Was Isaac his only son? No. Remember Ishmael? What about Ishmael? Did God forget about him? I don't think so. Here's what I think. This is my opinion, which I greatly admire. God didn't count Ishmael. Why? Because the only thing God recognizes is that which is produced out of availability and acknowledgement. And you, if you remember, when Ishmael came along, it was when Abraham decided to forget what God said and to do his own thing in the flesh. And so Ishmael was a part of the flesh, and God doesn't recognize our activity of the flesh, but only that which is of the Spirit. And the only son he had from the Spirit was Isaac. So he said, take your son, your only son. So let me ask you, is that true of your living, of your teaching, of your preaching, of your singing, of doing what you do for the Lord? Does it flow out of an acknowledgement that everything you have and are belongs to Him and making it available to Him, or are you just in activity, say? God help us to understand what commitment is all about. You see, when you're really committed, then there will be activity, of course there will be. And there will be learning, and there will be worship, but it comes after, not before you acknowledge that He owns all of you, and you make it available to Him. Then the activity comes. And, and, and that's what makes the difference. Our brand of Christianity, I'm afraid, is not turning the world upside down like the book of Acts talked about it. And I think that's one of the reasons they understood something we don't. Activity without availability and acknowledgement is just activity in the flesh. But if we back off and we acknowledge that all we have and all we are belongs to Him and we immediately make that available to Him, then you know what? You may do more or you may do less, but whatever you do, will be conformed to the image of Jesus. And in that process, whatever Jesus is will be enough for you and everybody else. Availability, acknowledgement, and then activity. 
So those are the reasons and those are the responses. Now, let me, let me show you the results of doing that, of committing your life to Jesus. Based on our text, I see two. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing it you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, that verse says, if you do this, there'll be two results in your life. First of all, you will think differently. He says your mind will be transformed, be transformed, he says, by the renewing of your mind. You will be transformed because you will think differently. Now, folks, the mind is the real battlefield, isn't it? The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What is the mind of Jesus? What what did he think? Did you ever see him in a hurry? Did you ever see him in a worry? No, he says, I must, he says things like, I must needs go through Samaria. Or I don't do anything except what the Father tells me to do. You see, when you begin to walk in tune with Jesus, you begin to understand his thoughts and his mind, and you begin to think like he wants you to think. Because something feeds your mind. Isn't that right? Something feeds our minds. I, uh, I had a pastor friend years ago who told me, I never forgot it, he, he said that a lady in his church came up to him and she said, I think my husband's having an affair. Well, he knew the guy, and he was just like, there's just no way. He said, yeah, I think he's having an affair. And he, she, he said, based on what? True story. Based on what? And she, he said, she said, because he's acting just like so-and-so in my soap story. Are you kidding me? Really? Now, some of you are still saying, what's a soap story? (laughs) Ask one of the old people. They'll tell you, okay? (laughs) Something feeds your mind. Listen. If you have two cellars, and you put garbage in one and canned goods in the other, and you seal them up, and you come back two years later, and you open it up, what are you going to have? Garbage in one and canned goods in the other, right? Because you're not going to, all, all you're going to get out is what you put in. Is that not what the, way, the way they say it in the computer world? Garbage in, garbage out. If I were to stand up here and take a great big lemon with a big old knife and cut the bottom out of it and squeeze it, what would come out of the bottom? Lemon juice? <laughs> uh, maybe. It all depends on what had been put in the top. See, if I'd taken that lemon and I put a bunch of poison in the top of it, when I cut the bottom off and squeezed it, what's going to come out? Lemon juice? No, poison in lemon juice. Because you can only get out what's been put in. And so it is with the mind. You see, the only way for us not to be squeezed into the mole of this world is to acknowledge that God owns all of us, including our minds, and make that available to Him. And when we do that, then He begins to work on our minds, to transform our minds, to clean up our minds. 
And when that happens, you begin to think differently. Now, let me give you the second one, then I'm going to show you how it works. Not only will you think differently, but then you will act differently. The second part of verse 2 says, uh, when, when your mind is renewed, that he said, then you'll be able to discern what the will of God is. One translation says you'll be able to find and follow God's will. In other words, uh, this process, he says, will transform you. By the way, that word transform, I'm sure you know, is the word metamorphosis. That which is on the inside will come out on the outside. So you will begin to think differently, and that which is on the inside will then come out so that you will begin to act differently. Now let me show you how this works. Okay. You're going along in life. You come upon a situation. You don't know how to react. So you pull from your mind what's up there. And if you've been living in the world and listening to the world, how are you going to react? Just like the world, right? So that's what you're going to do. That's what you're going to say. That's how you're going to act. But if I make available to the Lord and I acknowledge to him that he owns everything that I'm a part of, including my mind, including my heart, including my life, then I'm going to do what he says, right? If he owns it and I make myself available, I'm going to do what he says. For instance, what he says in Joshua chapter one is this, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate day in and day out so that you will know uh, the the right things to do and, and thereby you will be successful. So what happens is when you make yourself available and you acknowledge that he owns you, then then he begins to do this work in your heart and in your life and in your mind. And this time you're walking along in life and you come upon some situation and you're not exactly sure what to do. But this time, instead of doing what the world has, you have been transformed and and the, the garbage has been washed out of your mind. And now you react how? The way he says. Because you not only think differently, but that leads you to act differently. See? And in doing that, you're discerning God's will, which is, he says, good and acceptable and perfect. That means satisfying to him and satisfying to you. In other words, dedication leads to discernment, and discernment leads to delight. The Christian life when lived as God intends, is a delightful thing. That's what it means to be committed. That's why we ought to do it. That's how to do it. And that's what it'll do if you will do it. Now, folks, I fear our brand of Christianity that we have fallen into and accepted is not what God intends. And I don't say that from the testimony of one who always gets it right. My wife is here. She would stand up and say, "Eh." my kids would tell you, I don't always get it right. But just because we don't always get it right doesn't mean that he's not telling us the right thing. Doesn't mean that it still doesn't work, see. Because his word says, which is infallible and inerrant, which is truthful, says if you will acknowledge that everything you have belongs to me and you will make that available to me, then in the activities you go through in life, you will react not as the world, but as I want you to. And then the world will know. (laughs) He may not be the smartest guy around, 
But we see something different in his life. Because if we do it the other way, based on, based on our uh, looks and our temperament and our giftedness, we're no different than the lost world. What the world needs to see is those of us who may not be gifted like some people in the world, who may not be as smart as others in the world, but because we're making ourselves available to him, he uses us, and that means they say, oh, it's Jesus, the guy they pointed us to. That's what it means to be committed. <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter was, the pig was right. It takes more than a donation. It takes total commitment. Because the only thing the Christian life cannot be is moderately important. Let's pray. Our Father, your word is powerful, sharp, penetrating. And so I pray that today, I don't know these people, but I know you know all of us. And my prayer is today that we will understand what it means to be committed. And more than that, we will begin that journey. And maybe, maybe, Lord, what we have to pray today is make me willing to be willing to begin that journey. But whatever it takes, we want to be committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen.